Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. The head of the Federal Elections Commission said yesterday that there is a, quote, substantial chance we won't know the results on election night. Oh, buddy, I'm not even going to know my own name on election night. Recorded from locations that are not 30 Rockefeller Plaza, please enjoy this podcast edition of Late Night with Seth Meyers. On today's show, Seth chats with actor Sarah Snook. But first, a closer look. The president knows he can't win in November with a majority of votes, so instead he's trying to undermine the integrity of the election by sabotaging the post office. For more on this, it's time for a closer look. Throughout the entirety of his term, Donald Trump has consistently been the most unpopular president in history. It's easy to forget, but he's been widely disliked since day one of his campaign. People might have thought they liked the character of Donald Trump on The Apprentice, but that's a little like enjoying Buzz Lightyear when you're watching Toy Story and then meeting the Buzz Lightyear in Times Square. To infinity and uh, let's get this picture over with. I gotta take a dumb kid and it takes like 15 minutes to get this suit off. Trump has never once cracked 50% approval in the Gallup Daily tracking poll, which is unprecedented. Even the Cats movie has a 53% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, although I guess unlike the Cats movie, the White House can't just digitally blur out the ass. Trump and the Republican Party have largely given up on the idea of persuading a majority of voters to side with them the way you normally would in a healthy democracy. The modern conservative movement is a fundamentally anti-majoritarian movement based on excluding people, not including them. It's not a coincidence that their paragon owns private golf clubs. The Republican Party motto should be, sorry, you're not on the list. Their only hope of gaining and holding on to power is through tactics like gerrymandering, voter suppression, the Electoral College, stacking the courts, or colluding with foreign governments, which is why Trump has spent the last four years cold-calling random countries, asking them to help him cheat. Hello, Peru. Do you have any dirt on Joe Biden? Joe Biden loves trains. 
Looks super cool on a bicycle. Now, Trump got impeached for that, of course, so he's moved on to his next scheme, sabotaging the post office. New today, the Washington Post reporting a sweeping overhaul of the U.S. Postal Service. It was announced in a memo late Friday from Postmaster General Louis DeJoy. The Post writes, the move displaced two top executives overseeing day-to-day operations. This is coming as Democrats are calling for an investigation into DeJoy and his operating measures that some say have slowed mail delivery service. That's right, late on Friday, the Postal Service announced a massive restructuring that centers power around the Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, a Trump loyalist who donated over $360,000 to the Trump campaign and Republican National Committee. And right off the bat, you know it's shady because they did it late on a Friday night. Nothing good ever happens late on a Friday night. Friday nights are for eating cereal at 2 a.m. and watching reruns of that cop show starring the guy who sells reverse mortgages. You're not gonna fool me by pretending to be a cop. I know you're here to take my house. Also, it's incredibly suspicious to have a right-wing businessman and mega-donor in charge of a nonpartisan agency like the Postal Service. You think of postal workers as charming friends and neighbors straight out of Mayberry. This is like if your town's ice cream man was replaced by Carl Rove. Here you go, kid, one bullet pop. That'll be $6,000. They're made by Raytheon. Top of that, DeJoy. The former CEO of a logistics company also has a massive conflict of interest. According to his financial disclosure, he has anywhere from 30 to $75 million in assets invested in competitors to the post office, which is absurd. That's like finding out the new president of PETA is the colonel. Your chickens will be safe with me. Oh, these legs and thighs are nice and juicy. Not for eating. Now, Trump and DeJoy say the changes are necessary because the post office is losing money. In fact, you've probably heard Trump complain about it at one of his fake news conferences. It's lost so much money over the decades. Nobody's ever, nothing loses money like the post office. It's been losing massive amounts of money over the last number of decades. Massive amounts of money. This is not something new. This is something that's been taking place for a long time. It loses a tremendous amount of money. Okay, first of all, that's wrong. The Postal Service turned to profit as recently as 2006. Second, you're the last person on earth who should be complaining about someone else losing money. You lost a billion, one billion dollars in the 80s and 90s, which was more than any single taxpayer in the country lost. And you also somehow managed to lose money on casinos, which I didn't even think was possible. I mean, casinos rake in cash. Last time I went to a casino, I spent an hour playing a game called The Money Eater. It was just a giant hole you threw your chips into, and when you ran out, it just screamed, feed me. Also, it makes no sense to say the post office loses money. It's a public service. You never hear people say, the fire department loses money. We should start charging $50 per cat rescued from a tree, of course, most owners I know, most cat owners, would also pay $50 if you left it in the tree. She'll come down when she's hungry, but I would love, I would love for her to learn a lesson. Now, Trump is not the only Republican politician to complain that the post office loses money. It's been a right-wing talking point for years, especially among those who want to privatize the Postal Service. The Trump administration itself rolled out a plan to do just that in 2018, and right-wing billionaire Charles Koch has been campaigning to privatize the Postal Service for decades, which is shocking and craven, given that the Postal Service is literally in the Constitution. In fact, it's as old as the Republic itself. So there was already a years-long right-wing effort to privatize one of America's most cherished public institutions, the Postal Service. Then came Trump, and he was joined in his crusade by a bunch of soulless right-wing husks who want to turn every post office in one of those combination fast food restaurants. Yeah, I'll take a Ted Stamps and a Doritos Locos. Taco Supreme. And look, it's absolutely true that the post office is struggling right now, thanks in large part 
to the pandemic and a decrease in first-class mail volume, even though package deliveries have surged. But there's another reason the post office loses money, and it's actually the fault of the very same Republicans who are now complaining that the post office loses money. In 2006, the Republican-led Congress did pass a law that affected the USPS's bottom line. It required the Postal Service to pre-fund health benefits for future retirees. We talked to experts who said that because of this law, USPS had to pay more than $6 billion that it really wasn't ready for. So before the law, USPS paid out these benefits as they came due. And they point out that no other agency has these restrictions. So without the law, the Postal Service would definitely be better off. That's right. In 2006, Republicans forced the post office to pay 75 years of health fund benefits in advance, which is insane. Who knows what postal service will even look like in 75 years? Might just be a chip in your brain and you'll check the mail by winking. Oh, damn it. My student loan officer found me. I'm, re <laughs> I'm really bad at winking. <laughs> so without that law, I can't get my mail anymore. So without that law, it's very likely the post office could have been operating at a profit before the pandemic. In fact, from 2003 to 2006, the Postal Service actually did operate at a profit until the 2006 law wrecked their finances. From 2003 through 2006, USPS recorded a total $9.3 billion profit. That all changed at the end of 2006. Enter the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act, which was passed by the Republican-controlled Congress and signed into law by President George W. Bush. It required the post office to calculate all of its retiree pension and healthcare costs for the next 75 years, including for people it hadn't even hired yet, and put away enough over the next 10 years to cover them. To put this in perspective, that'd be like you only working from age 18 to 28, and then expecting to live on that income until you were 103 years old. Yeah, exactly. Imagine working for 10 years, then living off that until you're 103. The only person who's ever done it is Rudy Giuliani. Without this law, the Postal Service would have actually recorded operating profits in the last six years. Instead, it's now in a dire financial situation thanks to a requirement that virtually no other government agency or company has to deal with. There was congressional legislation that, that, that required them to pre-fund their pension liabilities in a way that basically no one else has to, which has created an enormous burden on their balance sheet. They're definitely in trouble. And, and what you mentioned, the, the pre-funding requirement, literally having to pay or set aside money for the uh, workers that haven't even been born yet, that will be coming in 75 years down the road, is, is the primary reason prior to the pandemic. Just think about that. They had to pay for retirement benefits for workers who hadn't even been born yet. That's like going out on a first date and saying, I had a great time tonight. What do you say we go back to my place and open up a 529 college savings plan for our eventual children? It made no sense. And it weakened the Postal Service dramatically. Now. The post office desperately needs a bailout of as much as $25 billion from Congress, which if you ask me, we should immediately do. $25 billion is nothing compared to the $740 billion Pentagon budget. You're telling me you can't find a billionaire to buy a F-15 or two? I mean, Richard Branson definitely has the vibe of a guy who wants the wind to blow through his hair at 1,800 miles per hour. And yes, I say that joke knowing my hair is getting more Branson-y by the day. And yet, rather than spend the money needed to shore up one of his country's most vital and cherished institutions, Trump and the GOP are using the financial situation as an opportunity to destroy the post office for their own political gain. Just this weekend, Politico reported that Trump's aides are exploring executive actions to curb voting by mail, including everything from directing the Postal Service to not deliver certain ballots to stopping local officials from counting them after Election Day. That is chilling. The president thinks he can just decide which votes count and which ones don't. 
Soon he's going to start crossing out ballots himself, and we'll all know because he'll sign them himself. And whether or not Trump actually succeeds in stopping mail-in voting is almost beside the point. Either way, he's sowing confusion, setting up lengthy court battles, and laying the groundwork to claim the results are disputed, even if they're not. He's made that as clear as possible. I don't want to see an election. You know, so many years I've been watching elections. And they say the projected winner or the winner of the election. I don't want to see that take place in a week after November 3rd or a month or, frankly, with litigation and everything else that can happen, years, years, or you never even know who won the election. I want to have the result of the election. I don't want to be waiting around for weeks and, and months and literally, potentially, if you really did it right, years, because you'll never know. I want to have the election. But I also don't want to have to wait for three months and then find out that the ballots are all missing and the election doesn't mean anything. That's what's going to happen. It's only going to happen if you make it happen. Trump's like a loan shark telling you, I'd hate to see your thumbs get broken. We can have a safe, successful election if we just adequately fund and protect the post office. You won't have to wait years for results, but even if you did, why are you complaining? Waiting around is like the one thing you're good at. Your favorite sport is 98% waiting around. You spend most of your days sitting in your bedroom watching TV and loitering on the White House lawn like you're waiting for a crosstown bus. He should be smoking a cigarette saying, I should have taken, I should have taken the M66. Couldn't decide how to hold my cigarette. Will you think Trump like this or Trump like this? Either way, Trump is openly trying to disrupt timely delivery of the mail ahead of a November election that will almost certainly rely on an unprecedented surge in mail-in balloting because of the deadly plague he failed to stop. DeJoy has already announced major operational changes last month, including slower mail delivery, post offices have been slashing hours, local union leaders and carriers say mail is piling up in offices, unscanned and unsorted. It's gotten so bad, a Democratic senator is finally opening an investigation into the delays. We have folks who rely on the Postal Service uh, for checks, Social Security checks, paychecks, uh, um, prescription medicines that are coming in. I'm hearing from folks, letter carriers and postal workers, they're saying they're seeing piles of mail that they've never seen before in their post offices. That's insane. Mail's not supposed to pile up in post offices. It's supposed to pile up on your kitchen table till one day a mustachioed stranger comes to take your house away. Time to pay the piper, old friend. But you said you weren't gonna take my house. I fibbed. I distracted you with my mustache, and I fibbed. And letting mail pile up is heresy for postal workers who pride themselves on timely mail delivery. Remember their motto, neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night? That's why Trump would have been a terrible mailman. He would have seen one cloud on the horizon then dumped his mailbag in the East River and headed for the OTB. They'll never catch me. Oh no, oh no, since when does paper float? This is all Trump has left. He and the Republican Party have given up on fairly winning a majority of votes, so now they're trying to undermine the election itself. Because Trump knows that if we have a safe and fair election in which everyone can easily participate, he has no chance of being the projected winner or the winner of the election. This has been A Closer Look. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, 
where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Sarah Snook is a talented actress who was recently nominated for her first Emmy for her portrayal of Shiv Roy in HBO's Succession. Here's my conversation with the wonderful Sarah Snook. Sarah, how are you? Hi, good. Yeah, thanks. How you doing? I'm doing well. This is the longest distance interview we have done since uh, social distancing started. You're in Australia right now. Thank you for waking up so early to do this. I am. I am. It's not too bad. It's like 9 a.m. It's fine. It's all right. Workday. It's a regular workday. <laughs> <laughs> it is a regular workday. Uh, and I should uh, want to congratulate you uh, for your Emmy nomination for Succession, but uh, because of the time difference, uh, that must have happened in the middle of the night for you. Are you the kind of person who sets an alarm to find out if it has happened? No. <laughs> no, I totally... My, my manager asked if I wanted to be woken up. I was like, no. It's like two in the morning. I'll sleep. It's either I've been nominated or I haven't. It's not going to change whether I wake up or not. No, uh, no. I got woken up by my friend who, who I'm living with at the moment in lockdown, and uh, they ran into the room and pulled the pillow off my head and said, "You've been nominated for an And uh, yeah, it was a pretty good way to find out. That's a great way to find out. You know, I was talking to uh, Matthew McFadden was on the show. He obviously is fantastic playing your husband Tom, and he was saying one of the disappointing things, the depressing things, one of the many depressing things, but you guys won't be able to celebrate together at a virtual Emmys. Is that a bummer? Yeah, it is. It is because I, I miss everybody and, you know, I want to be working again and, I'm, you know, everyone's in the same boat globally, no matter the industry. Everyone wants to get back to work to be social and, and, and with their friends. But I feel like we've got such a great team and, and such a great chemistry on and off screen that, yeah, it, it's a shame not to be able to do that all together, particularly for so many of us being nominated at the Emmys. It's, yeah, it's wild. I also uh, want to point out that I was lucky enough to meet you last year, uh, like the night before party. And the whole Succession cast, uh, not just yourself, but all of you, you guys were like the hot people that everybody wanted to talk to. <laughs> everybody wanted to come up, because I felt like right as the Emmys was hitting last year was when everyone had finally caught up to the show. It was cresting yeah. just at the right time. It, it was pretty, in some ways, confronting, I guess, for me, because I really did expect to go to the Emmys last year and, like, you know, slip under the radar, not be seen, just work out what it's all about. Okay, that's a very famous person. There's another one. I'm from Australia. Just be cool, chill out. But then when they all started coming up to me and going, hey, I love your work. It, uh, yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like now everybody is, you know, thirsting for a third season, whereas the second season maybe caught people a little by surprise. Obviously, you're thirsting for a third season as well. Is there... I mean, you hear whispers that it's maybe going to start in the winter? Uh, yeah, yes. I mean, I want to get back as soon as possible. And in a couple of months' time, that'll happen. But I think everything changes so fast at the moment that you could say it's October and then it'll end up being sometime later because, you know, we don't know. It's good happen. that you guys as a cast are taking um, the pandemic seriously because I don't think a single character on the show would. No. 
Well, in a way of like constantly hand sanitizing and just isolating themselves way ahead of any advice to isolate. They would, you know, and they've got their summer palace. They've got, they wouldn't even have to isolate together. They could all have a house They'd be all right. themselves. Yeah. But they probably would want to isolate together in some ways, just in case somebody made some moves or positioning. <laughs> right, just to keep eyes on them. Has the show taken off in Australia? Because some might even say it's based on Australians. <laughs> It has taken off in a way that I feel it's still like what first season was in America. Like there's still a bit of word of mouth going on. It's on a TV channel, uh, like it's on Foxtel and on Binge now, I think. Um, so it's, it's, it's there, but it's, um, it's still simmering, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, you did find out on Halloween that it was slightly more popular than you had, had known. I did, yes. I get being tagged in photographs that sort of jarred me a little to go, well, that's well, not me. That's not me. That's a, a that's a terrible red wig, but it's meant to be me. Okay, that's just paper bag pants and a, and a turtleneck with a gold chain. That's, that's you didn't know you were going to this Halloween party tonight and you just found that in your closet and you made a costume. <laughs> My favorite but it was, it was funny to hear that and realize, oh yeah, Shiv does have a very iconic style that you could also not have to do a ton of planning for it, but also nail yeah. the shiv look. But this yeah. is a style you sort of brought to the character, yes? It, yes, I mean, I wear high-waisted pants um, and sort of a wider leg pant, I guess. But there's no way in which that I am stylish as Sarah. Um, <laughs> I mean, any style I brought to the character was, was cherry-picked from other things and then and put together by Michelle far more than it was me, yeah. Uh, I do want to uh, provide you this opportunity uh, before we go uh, to clear up an internet rumor about your birthday. Oh, yes. Please. I'm a proud Sagittarian. I am not born July 28th. Uh, my birthday is the 1st of December. Someone made a Wikipedia page up for me and they I just decided that 28th of July was, was me. And so for a couple of years now, I've been getting happy unbirthdays uh, from, from friends. And, and even my agent actually wished me a happy birthday once a couple of years ago. It's nice, though. I feel like it's a good way to distinguish your real friends from your friends who just sort of are living off internet knowledge of you. Oh, 100%. Yeah. When, when I get a happy birthday from somebody who's, who's, who's maybe not in the know, I'm like, okay, well, we need, to, we need to work on this friendship. I need to let you in a little closer. Maybe it's my fault that I haven't told you my birthday is December 1st. Yeah. Um, that's very helpful. I'm thinking of like planting a poison pill fake birthday myself now on my internet page, oh, just so I can like separate, you know, the posers from the real deal. Yeah, I mean, it's lucky that I'm only six months out, but I feel <laughs> like if I was going to fake my own birthday, I should have gone, you know, three, four years, five years earlier. I yeah, that's true. That's, I guess, how we know you didn't do it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, congratulations again on the nomination. Thank you. Uh, Again, it's 9 a.m., but for a lot of actors, that's a big, big deal. So we will say thank you, and... Uh, I'm back to bed, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always great to see you, Sarah. Good to see you again. Late Night with Seth Meyers airs weeknights on NBC at 12.35, 11.35 Central. Original music on the Late Night podcast is by the HE Band. Don't forget to follow the handle Late Night Seth on social media and tell your friends to subscribe to the Late Night Podcast wherever they get their podcasts.
Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.